Oh, my husband speaking to you, <laughs> I think. Okay, here he is. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> okay. Good morning, you hope. I'd like to encourage you to just take out your Bibles if you've got them. And we're going to be reading. I've just finished up Ecclesiastes, the book myself. But today we're going to read from Numbers 13 and 14. How many of you here know and have a, a desire in your heart to have a fresh baptism of faith and courage? Can I see your hands? Okay, great. I'm talking the right truth. Many of us know that to be true in our own lives. And today what I want to look at is how God uses people with a different spirit of faith and courage to accomplish his purposes on earth. And by the way, Mandy, I love the title of your study, Stepping Up. I love that. I think that is a very timely study in the life of this church and what God wants to do. I want to do something different. Where you can, I'd like you to stand right now, please. I'm going to pray to respect the Lord's word. Father, for what we're about to receive, may we be truly thankful. May your word strengthen us like the food that you give us so graciously every day. Jesus, we're not here to play games. We're here to hear from you, the king of the universe, who has a plan that's being worked out on earth. Show us our parts, we pray. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Please be seated. Now, the notes you'll notice are quite different this, this week. And the reason for that is I believe not my words are important, but God's words are important. And there's a lot of God's words we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, if you haven't, that's up on the screen. But Numbers 13, verse 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Notice what he said. I'm going to give it to them. This is my will, to give this to them. Choose them from each ancestral tribe and send one of its leaders, i.e. there are 12 tribes. I was going to say, I'm going to run out of fingers here. <laughs> and um, therefore, there were 12 leaders. Now, the first thing I notice about this is the Lord said to Moses, don't rush. Do you know, Anita, that the Lord wants to speak to you? Michelle, the Lord wants to speak to you. Look at his words, savor them. Don't just read them, hold them in your heart. When you have a lover and they say something to you, you didn't just read it and forget it. You hold those words close to your heart. Those precious words that Mikey and Kara exchanged or that Marcel exchanged with his bride. They remember them. They're not just words. They're in the heart. Jesus says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me half-heartedly. No, no. I know that's a little ridiculous, but sometimes I fear that's the truth. And we wonder why we don't feel that. You try having a loving relationship with your spouse if you're half-hearted and distracted about it. You know what I mean. Anybody know what I mean? Don't have to put your hand up. 
You can be even kissing your wife and thinking about something different. That's not wholeheartedly being there in the moment. Numbers 13, 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, this is when he's commissioning them. He's commissioning them. This is your job. Ooh. I seem to remember Jesus giving a commission. This is your job. Don't miss a parallel there. Go up. Go up. Step up, Mandy. Step up. Go through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like there. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. And what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? This is talking to the agrarian economy here. Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there trees in it? That'll give you a good sign too, or not. And do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land that Josh just talked about here. Because this was a season of the first ripe grapes. And so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Leo Hamath. Verse 22, for those of you following me. They went up to the Negev and they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishi, and Talmai and the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Ooh, man, they sound great. Verse 24. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. Now at the end of 40 days... They returned from the exploring the land, and they came back to Moses and Aaron. And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and they were reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land that God had promised. Now, let's recap what's going on here. God had told Moses to go and to send leaders. So Moses did what he was told. He took careful steps to obtain information on the planned conquest. And by the way, there's something that we can learn and need to learn. And remember, when you are making decisions, when you are relocating, when you're assuming new responsibilities, get the facts. Planning for tomorrow is time well spent. But worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. Here's the honest truth. Sometimes it's difficult to tell between the two, right? <laughs> it's hard. Careful planning is thinking about the goals and the steps ahead necessary and the schedules and trusting God's guidance to pull us off. When well done, planning alleviates worry. Warriors, by contrast, are consumed by fear and find it very difficult to trust God. On the screen, Numbers 13. Here they are. They've just gone, come back with the fruit, and they're about to present their findings to the team. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. 
Remember the pomegranates and the grapes? Verse 28. But the people who live here, there, are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large, i.e. not small. And we even just saw descendants of Anak there. That's where some of the Star Wars from. Anyway, I won't go there. So, verse 29. The Amalekites lived in the Negev, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites lived in the hill country, and the Canaanites lived near the sea along the Jordan, along with the Mozzibites, as I said last week. <laughs> Moses knew the land would be fruitful. How did he know that? Well, God had already spoken to him, but he wanted the people to see and then them to tell their clans that it was good, just as God had promised and foretold them. So 12 spies go out into the land that confirm the facts. Then come the two interpretations of the facts. We have the majority report and we have the minority report. Ten spies gave the negative spin based on their fearful perception. What did they focus on? They focused not on the good things, but on the strong people. And they forgot they were promised the land of milk and honey. They focused instead on the fortified cities with high walls. And some of these walls were indeed 25 feet thick. And 20-odd feet high with men standing on them, guarding them. So they could see you coming a long ways off. Instead, they'd forgotten about the fruit. And they'd forgotten God's promise of provision. Now, this isn't saying the strong people, the 40, fully fortified cities, and, the, and by the way, the giants. These guys, we know from archaeological um, uh, discoveries recently, and some of my friends are doing digs there right now. They're between seven and nine feet tall. Now, seven's not particularly tall, but it's still a whole bunch taller than me, right? <laughs> and nine feet is ridiculous. I think my son at six foot three is tall, but seven's getting ridiculous, and nine is bizarre. There are plenty of good reasons to enter the promised land. But they could not help themselves focusing on the fear. Now, if you want to accomplish what God has for you in your life and finish well, then you won't compromise when you face fear. You'll stand your ground. You'll stand strong. You'll step up. You won't shrink back. You'll be more concerned with the approval of God than the approval of or the disapproval of other people. See, Israel was now, this is a cataclysmic, and you'll come across these in your life, crossroads in your life, where you can go this way or that way. And they had to decide whether to step up or to retreat, pull back. Unfortunately, those, those 10 spies were influencing the people to retreat, and as a consequence of the choice. Now, let me say this carefully. You are free to make any choice you want. You are not free of the consequences of those choices. God, one of the perfections he gave you was free will. He will not force. 
He gave them the promise and they had to choose by faith to obey or to disobey. So the consequence of their retreating was exactly what Joshua said. As a result of their disobedience and fear, they spent the next 40 years of their existence in the wilderness. Now, I want to make some observations to make this superbly practical. Because God says, I don't want you to just listen. I want you to do what my word says. Here's some practical application that I see as I look at the story. Number one is some see the vision as having too many liabilities. Some see the vision that God has given them having too many liabilities. It's too costly, too inconvenient, too scary. That's one of the marks. Remember, this is the promised land. God's will. Yet people were scary, they were counting their liabilities, and they were shrinking back. This was God's plan for Israel, but some were stubbornly disbelieving. And God has a plan for our lives. And maybe you have been tagged by God. But you're seeing too many liabilities. In other words, let me be clear what a liability is. It's a cost. And therefore you seem uninterested like these people. Oh, and no, 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 I don't want to engage in this battle. God had guided them by cloud, pillow of cloud by day, and a pillow of fire by night. God guides us by today his word and his spirit that lives within you, which Kimberly mentioned. I've often wondered, and I'm sure they did, well, God, if you promised this land to us, which you clearly did, why didn't you just flatten all the enemies out? Therefore, it caused them to doubt the promises of God. And the old famous saying, did God really say he promised this to us? Hebrews 11.6 answers this, and it's a very important verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must, one, believe that he is. I didn't have much of a problem as a young Christian believing that he was. The second part I had trouble with. But he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I had to spend some time with God in prayer on that one. Again, in Revelation 3.21, remember this, to every one of those churches, he says, but to him that overcomes overcomes. That means you've got to step up, not shrinks back. He who overcomes steps up. You see, the point is, following God requires faith and obedience. Both. Basic 101. But boy, we forget that. It requires it. Stay with me. Number two. There is always a spirit of Caleb among God's people. I love that. I love that. And it's often the minority. There's always a spirit of Caleb among God's people. Numbers 13, 9, uh, 30. Then Caleb silenced the people. Shh, 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 shh. And he said, we should, you may want to circle that, we should go up and take possession of the land. Circle, we should. And then he says the next part, we can certainly do it. Circle it. This is the minority report to out of 12, the minority report, which was the godly report. So when the people became quiet, God's voice spoke through Caleb. 
Whoa, stop. God has spoken to some of you before. And it's gotten buried. In the same way, when the people became quiet, God's voice spoke. In the same way, God still speaks in a still, small, quiet voice. Here's an honest to God challenge. How is your daily time with God? Now, we know the right thing to do. But as you know and I know, I've had four kids knowing the right thing to do and them doing the right things, two different things. <laughs> How is your daily time with God? Because without that, friend, you will not grow. You'll be stepping back, not stepping up. Can I recommend, if you haven't already got one, pick up one of these. There's the back. Five bucks or something crazy. Use it daily. And then to, to supersize the challenge, share your devotions with your wife, with your fiancé, with your girlfriend, with your husband, with your children. So, you, so there's traction going on. So we're not fooling each other. This enables you to stand against the crowd and last a distance. It would have been so easy for Caleb and Joshua to go along with the majority. Everyone was saying it, and there was a whole bunch of them, but they knew it was wrong. They stood their ground at the risk of being personally ostracized, losing their friends, their friends, and even their lives. Think of how many people today are held back spiritually because they're so concerned about the opinions of others or the cost of discipleship. What's really going on here is the Spirit of God is encouraging every believer not to live a half-hearted life. Make sure every day counts. You don't waste a moment. 14.24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, I love that. That's a different attitude. He's not like the rest because of that. And he follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Wow. Third point I notice here. In this next passage. Those who oppose God's direction tend to exaggerate the negatives. Those who oppose God's direction tend to oppose, excuse me, exaggerate the negatives. Here we go. Let's see how this plays out. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't, I want you to circle that word, we can't. Because remember to circle we can. We can't. We can't attack those people. Why? They are stronger than we are. Physically stronger. Bigger. They, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Some versions say a negative report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Really? How come there's still people living in it? All the people we saw there are of great size. Really? All? I'm sure there's some my size there. <laughs> By normal human perspective... And strength, the task that God gives us can be difficult. 
can appear difficult and they can appear daunting. Here is an example, a copy, a textbook example that we can follow. So I admit that. But God had said, this is not human reliance on. I will lead you. I will give it to you as an inheritance. Yet the people were full of stubborn, unrepentant, unbelief and rebellion and disobedience. What I want to say today is you need to avoid undue focus on the negative at the crossroads of your life. Because if you just look to yourself, you become discouraged. Number four. Often there's a tendency toward inaccurate comparisons. Inaccurate comparisons. 33. We saw the Nephilim, and they're the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Really? Did you ask them? <laughs> hey, do we look like grasshoppers or something? Say, yeah, you do. Okay, we look like grasshoppers. That's crazy. See, God's opportunity occasioned a divided uh, opinion. Joshua and Caleb focused on faith and in God's strength. The other ten had unbridled emotion. Oh, this doesn't look like it's going to go well. And they, and they saw the unfavorable odds. Well, of course they're unfavorable, apart from God. And they thought about their human strength. Number five, negative thinking usually leads to a spirit of grumbling. Negative thinking usually leads to a spirit of grumbling. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. Oh boy, oh boy. It's not going to go end well. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly has said to them, Oh boy, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Oh boy. How is this? Think about this. They've been led out of Egypt with incredible miracles. God's vision. They had high hopes. Now after the size and the difficulty of the task was dawning on them, they became discouraged. They were weak, insecure, and they were tempted to return to what they'd known, even bondage, rather than following God's will. And they wept all night. Now, it's just to notice that God brings opportunity and timing to his people. That opportunity will not be left open forever. So that's why many times God says, especially to Joshua, be strong and of good courage because you need to take some action. The sick thing I notice from this passage here is visionless people are always wanting to regress. Visionless people are always looking backwards, wanting to regress. And this is exactly what these guys did. Numbers 14, 30, no, verse 3. 
Why? Be careful when that word comes out of your mouth. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? This is a real cop out. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader, a new leader, and go the other way. Go back. These people are losing their perspective. They're caught up in the emotion of the moment, and they're forgetting about God's character. And they're in such a poor frame of mind that they say, our wives and our children will be prey, and they're using their children as an excuse, pretending that they are thinking of their children, but it's actually a reflection on God. They're saying that God did not care what happened to their children. Ooh, look at that. Do you know who it was that actually entered the land? These children. They got it there. They got there. It was their unbelieving parents that were the problem. Unfortunately, the people had accepted the majority assessment began to protest. And they started to blame the others. They blamed the Lord. They blamed Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And they even wanted to change leaders and head back to, here it is, safer ground. Where it's not so difficult. It's more easy, more convenient. But here's the point that we can learn from this story. Number seven, fear and disobedience always spell defeat. Fear and disobedience spell defeat. 14.6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They're going, really? Are you insane? That's what they were saying. They were at the end of their tether. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good, in case you missed that. And by the way, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people. He's getting to the fear there, rebellion and fear. Because we'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So we can see here that Joshua and Caleb were deeply distressed. Just When people used to rip their clothes in the Old Testament, it was a sign of grief and absolute, are you kidding? Joshua and Caleb here are encouraging the people to act on the promises of God. A couple of things to think about there. Don't be too quick to reject advice that you don't like. Evaluate it carefully against God's word. It may be God's word for you. Number eight, important principle all through scripture happens to be demonstrated in this passage. A lack of faith can invite God's wrath. A lack of faith. 14.10 But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. About now, I'm about to say, (laughs) I don't know how Moses did it. I don't know how Moses stood this and Joshua and Caleb. 
So not only do they want to go the other way, they want to knock them off and grab another leader and fire off the other direction. Now notice the reaction of the Lord to their contempt. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat you with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? And in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them. In other words, all the things I've done. Verse 12, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them and make you into a great nation, stronger and greater than they. Again, I want to remind you of that verse we looked at earlier on. Without faith, it is impossible. Faith involves... Uh, so let me finish that one first before I forget. Um, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those who seek him. Now let me just point out something blindingly obvious. Faith involves risk. So here's the point. You cannot be a faithful Christian without engaging in some risk. The Christian life is not without risk. It may be a risk to a job. It may be a risk to a home. It may be a risk to family. It, it costs to be a Christian. Jesus told us about that. Here's another example of that in the Old Testament. Why didn't they take that last step? Really? Because they're right on the edge. Why didn't they just go, okay, we're going to do it? Fear and unbelief. So the point is, at the crossroads of your life, when things are like, whoa, which way? Don't stop trusting God. Number nine. What we also learn from this is that prayer is extremely effective. As tempting as the Lord's offer would have been to me, he says, I'm going to zap him. I'd have probably stood aside and said, go for it. Man, how long do I have to put up with these guys too? But Moses was a faithful priest. He said, whoa, hang on, God. All these other surrounding areas are going to say a bunch of stuff. He stood, as he should do, a priest stands between God and man in the Old Testament. That's what he did. But I could certainly understand how tempting the Lord's offer may have been for Moses to accept at that point in time. Moses' love for his people and the integrity of God's reputation to the people around led him to reject it and instead seek forgiveness. See, Moses acted as a priest between Israel and God. And today, you act as a priest between the unbelieving world and God. You stand there. 14.13 Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it, and by your power you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell all the inhabitants of the land about this. They've already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen by them face to face, and that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, which you could do in a nanosecond, the nations that have heard this report will say about you, now may the Lord's strength be displayed, oh, a bunch of stuff, verse 17, now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared, the law is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. And then verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you've pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Verse 20, 
And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. That shows you the power of intercessory prayer, standing between God and man. Verse 10, uh, sorry, number 10. Those who oppose God, who oppose and rebel, miss God's blessing. Those who oppose and rebel miss God's blessing. Do not miss that. Numbers 14. Nevertheless, 21, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and miraculous signs performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. You know what? I went back and counted them. And there are exactly ten times these people have stubbornly refused to obey God. Ten times since then. You go back and check it. There's no exaggeration there. Not one of them, verse 23, will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Basically what he's saying here is 20 plus, no go. If you're in 20 and you could fight, so after witnessing many miracles, the refusal to follow God ended up with more severe punishment. Numbers 14.36. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, remember at the beginning, and made the whole community grumble because of their negativity against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about that were struck down and died. They all went boom at once. Ten of them before the Lord. Those ten. Zap. Now, the whole nation, except for Moses, Caleb, Joshua, and Aaron, showed contempt and distrust for God. The ten spies brought the evil report and led the rebellion. They the guys that died of the plague. Now, when we run from God and we fail to trust him, we often find greater problems than what we originally faced. My mother used to have a saying, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Right? Verse 34, and you'll be there. Now look what happens now. In the morning, verse 40, they rose up early. And they went to the ridge of the hill country saying, Here we are! We have indeed sinned! Probably what happened is they got scared to death when they saw ten of them die straight in front of them. But all of a sudden, they changed. You know, really. Here we are, we've sinned, but we will go to the place where the Lord has promised. Verse 41. Notice, something's changed here. Something has changed. But Moses said, why are you now transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? What? When the Israelites saw the judgment on the ten, they realized the foolishness of their mistake and were ready to return suddenly to God. They'd resolved to forget their fears and undertake the Canaanite conquest at once. But God did not equate their admission of guilt with true repentance because he knew their hearts. Sure enough, they're on their way again, but it was too late and they'd lost their opportunity. They wouldn't go into the land when God wanted to 
them to. Now they want to go when he doesn't want them to. They just don't get it right. And so they presume to go up. Friends, faith and presumption are two very different things. Faith is not presumption. They wanted to go their way again rather than God's. And friends, there can be no victory apart from the submission to God's will. Sometimes the right actions and even good intentions can come too late. That's a hard arm of life, a hard fact. We must not only do what is right, we need to do what is right at the right time. So God wants complete and wholehearted obedience. So for those of you who are interested, it's not surprising that the Amalekites and the Canaanites launched counterattacks when they ignored Moses and they were severely defeated. This is a message you won't hear very often today in the church. But it demonstrates ten clear principles as to how God works. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can learn from these things, and that's what Paul suggests that we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the examples that you give us in your word of how to obey you and how not to obey you. Help us learn from these things that we may walk according to your paths and your purposes. Would you fill us with courage at our point of fear? Holy Spirit, counsel us Put your truth in our mind and give us your perspective that we may push forward, step up, and not shrink back and cruise half-heartedly. God, would you give us the desire and the will to push forward full throttle, to obey cheerfully, willingly, and instantly. May we start this week, Lord, by being quiet. Every day, Lord, with you and your word, that you may speak to us and we may be clear, that we may be strong and have good courage and do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Church. Um, how about we all stand together and we'll sing a song of response.